0: Hello, my friends. I'm from Alberta, which I always thought was the freest province. And, you know, Alberta's own motto is Fortis et liber, strong and free in Latin. I don't know if that's so true anymore. The premier there is talking about bringing in a curfew. Only the second jurisdiction in North America after Quebec to do so. That's shocking to me. I'll take you through it. Uh, before I get to that podcast, let me invite you to become a premium subscriber to what we call Rebel News Plus. It's eight bucks a month, which is about half that of Netflix. You get the video version of this show, Sheila Gunn Reid, David Menzies, Andrew Chapados, and the satisfaction in knowing that you're keeping Canada's most important independent voice alive. Maybe that's a little bit of arrogance on my part to say most important, but we actually have more viewers than, than all the other dissident independent media combined. And I think it's why Trudeau hates us so much. So please help us stay strong. Just go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. Thanks. Tonight, Alberta moves from being the freest province towards being the least free. I didn't see that coming. It's April 30th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer you know? I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government of why wire is because it's my bloody right to do so. You know what a curfew is, right? Of course we do. It's what parents typically give their teenage children. Be home by 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. or whatever. Because they're children, they can't make all decisions for themselves, at least on certain things. And a teenager can get up to special trouble at, say, midnight, that they might not be able to get into at midday. But the thing is, they're children. There's some of the times for curfews, too. In a time of genuine public safety emergency, like widespread rioting that are ongoing. You know, reading the Riot Act itself is a form of a curfew, really. But again, that's for criminals, not for law-abiding people. I guess a quarantine is a kind of curfew, but again, that's for sick people. That's where the word comes from, quaranta giorni, 40 days. That's how long ships had to wait before entering the port at places like Venice in the Middle Ages to make sure any sickness in the ship would have burned itself out. But a curfew for adults who've committed no crimes and who are not sick, it's not a curfew anymore. That's a police state. That's treating law-abiding, healthy adults like criminal, sick children. Except that even some criminals get out for parole. I want to show you what the curfew is like in Quebec, the only province in Canada that I know of that enforces a curfew, the only place in North America, in fact. Let me show you about five or ten minutes. I'm going to play a lot of this. I found this riveting. Take a look. Shabbat just
1: finished here in Montreal. And this is what's going on here in this city. A bunch of cops are showing up. This is what's been happening for weeks and months. But tonight, it's next level. Check this out. Check this out. This is an outrage. And the whole, the whole weekend, it was like this. This is what's going on. This is Montreal. This is Canada. This is a police state. Check this out. Oh, because a few Jews wanted to pray we are following people. This is what's going on. So they're following people home. This is what they're doing. This is a police state in Canada. Look, look they're gonna try going entering someone's house without permission. What do you want from our kid? Four police officers, five police officers. For what? Mm-hmm. And you walking in the street. This, oh, you love shining your lights here. Back with the lights. This is normal. This is a normal light. I'm careful. I'm careful. What's your step? What's your step? I'm always watching. you me. Yeah, i have
2: a paper.
1: So, you're not accepting exemption notes? Tell me this. Why not? Okay. So, you're not accepting exemption notes from people and giving them tickets? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I'm asking you again to repeat it. Okay. So, they have exemption notes? You respect it. You respect human beings. Okay, you respect human beings, okay? Uh, okay, that's my problem, not yours. Why don't you respect human beings? Hey, so don't ask me any questions, okay? I'm allowed to ask. I'm allowed to ask. That's okay. I'm allowed to ask you. You're but now, now if you ask me, me, you me questions. You're entraving my press. I'm not. not. So, so, let let job, okay? so, so let me do my job, okay? You're not speaking to them. They are. Let me do my job. What is your job? Tell me what your job is. Give me give me a paper that allows you to uh, to be outside right now. Sure. And I'm gonna ask you a piece of ID too. Sure. Because actually you are you are entering my, my. I am my not. Work. He was yes, speaking to them. Trying to do my job. What is I, your I job? Know, I asked you what your no job is. not ask me not any true. question, that's okay? I saw other people going. If, through if the, you want, if you are really impressed, time. you can ask for our we are service. That ask for. Uh, oh, no, ask you, uh, you. I asked you. You weren't busy with him. I have it on video. You have no question. I did. I asked. What are you doing here? You Exactly. know what we're doing. Uh, No, take it. Yeah, yeah, take it. I'm gonna give you an ID. Whatever you want. You don't like answering questions, that's not a crime for me to ask. You know the question. You know the answer, you know everything. No, I'm asking you for an answer. If you don't want to answer, that's fine. You're
2: you're you're embarrassed embarrassed
1: by the answer. That's why you want to give me a ticket, because you're embarrassed by it.
2: What is there then? The paper that that's for my
1: lawyers. If you're gonna harass me, I'll sue you. That's what it says. And that's the curfew letter. So if you wanna harass me, no problem. Go ahead. I'll sue you, each and every one of you. Okay, sir. What is your name? You will be able to sue you. What's your name and badge number? You will have this on the on the paper. So why don't you give it to me? Go back on the sidewalk. Ah. Ah. So what's going on tonight? You don't want to speak to me? I'm running home. Thank you so much. Yeah. Go back on the sidewalk. What? You're gonna you give you? No, you have no more rights, okay? I have all you the you rights I have, have. The same rights as everybody here, okay? So you go back on the sidewalk. Why are you on the street? You could think there's a shooting or something going on. But no, it's just people walking on the street. That's all that's going on here. This is, this is Montreal. There's, there's two over there. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I don't know which one exactly is a the cop. There's like 20, 30 cops in this neighborhood. You think there's a shooting or something going on. But no, it's just a few Jews walking on the street or people walking on the street. That, that's a big crime in Canada these days. This is what's going on. Look, look. Well, they moved. There were a bunch of other ones over there. Oh, there's still one on the covered one right over there. Check them out. They're very proud of the job they're doing. But they won't speak with me. They're giving me a ticket for asking questions. I have it on video. I was asking him questions. So he's like, well, you're going to get a ticket because you asked me some questions. This is the state of Canada. This is Quebec. This is Montreal. This is live tonight. This is Saturday night. This is being recorded 9.30 at night. But people are getting tickets here for their sin, their crime. They're walking on the street. That's their crime. This is what's going on. This is a police state. Yeah, that's a
0: curfew in real life. Lots of cops chasing non-criminals around. And with all those cops, you'd think there would be the rule of law, but that video sort of proves the opposite, doesn't it? It's whatever the individual cop's temperament is at any given moment. And um, (laughs) in this case, they sure don't like the religious use of Montreal, do they? I wonder how the curfew would be applied to different communities. Let's say in Alberta, an Indian reserve. Or a poor neighborhood where nobody has big backyards to play in. Everyone's cooped up in a tiny apartment, so you have to go out to play. We're going to run around in the halls of the condo. Versus a rich community where everyone has a nice big backyard. Some people even have pools or a tennis court. So I wonder how the curfew would play out in different places. Of course, there's no science here. Does the virus get you at 8.01 p.m. but not at 7.59 p.m.? Of course not. This is conditioning. This is obedience training. You're being taught to fetch when they say fetch and sit when they say sit. Now, that was Quebec, that video we showed. They had the FLQ crisis. They had the War Managers Act. But... Actually, that was over in a couple of months, and there really was a terrorist group blowing things up, killing people, kidnapping people. What's the excuse now? Well, that's Quebec. Maybe they're more used to the authoritarian, strongman type ruler, bit of that Napoleon thing. They've had their authoritarians in Quebec, like Duplessis. But what's Alberta's excuse? Here, watch this.
3: I'm announcing today that starting tomorrow, we'll be putting in new targeted COVID-19 measures in place to help protect the health system and to drive cases down. I know that many people uh, don't want to see additional measures. And I know that we're all tired of this pandemic and are desperate to just move on. Where needed, we will implement a curfew where case rates are significantly high, specifically if cases are a thousand or more per 100,000 population and in cases where the municipal uh, government requests it these restrictions are so that are in target areas where cases are highest if your community is not seeing high levels of spread you won't see change and I know that it has been a long road I know many people will not want to take take another step in that in this direction of more stringency but we must AHS and law enforcement will continue taking enforcement and issuing fines for non-compliance. And to ensure Albertans take these fines seriously, we are adding additional backstops with stronger fine collection and and actions with restrictions at registry services. So that means if you are given a fine, and you're you're not taking it seriously, you don't pay it, uh, you will uh, not be able to, for example, renew your driver's license and there will be other implications with respect to registry services. These fines won't affect the majority of folks who are following the rules and are doing their part to keep our community safe. Rather, this is for the people who aren't taking the pandemic seriously and continue to put uh, others at risk by not following the public health orders in place.
0: A lot in there. I dispute completely the assertion that nobody wants this. That's patently false. Um, Not everyone is tired by this. That's just wrong. There are a lot of people, too many people, who are absolutely having the time of their lives. The public health deep state is running the show. Anonymous bureaucrats you never heard of or voted for year and a half ago, are now unrestrained tyrants on TV every night. Parliaments are shut down or slowed down. Courts shut down or slowed down. But these little dictators, these public health officers, they say and do what they like. And, and they're, it's like commands sent down from Mount Olympus. They love the celebrity, too. I mean, I found this incredible. But B.C.'s public health officer, Bonnie Henry, she actually took a few hundred hours off from this emergency to write a self-serving book to cash in on her celebrity status. Imagine that. That is so, so gross. The lockdownists love it. The vaccine companies love it. They're making billions. The big tech giants love it. Uh, Each new variant of this disease is a new opportunity for a new product line, a third jab, maybe a fourth. That's not speculation. We showed you the other day. That's part of uh, Pfizer's investor pitch these days. But is it really so bad in Alberta that it does demand a curfew? I don't know, you be the judge. Here's a graph taken from Alberta Health's own statistics page. The death rate, the number of deaths per day, it was high in January, February, but it's plunged to what, a quarter of that level? I think just one person died yesterday. I know it's sad when anyone dies, but people do die. But why would there be curfews now when things actually are so much lower, so much better? than just a few months ago, the hospitalization rate, there are 151 people in intensive care units around Alberta from the virus, that's not good, but Alberta has 106 hospitals with thousands of beds. 106 hospitals, 151 people in intensive care, so not quite each patient having a hospital to themselves, but pretty close for ICU patients. Think about curfews. No longer have the good fortune of having my own grandparents around. But in their golden years, the thing about grandparents, at least when they're in their 80s and 90s especially, is that they go to bed a little earlier than young people do. And and they actually don't go out quite as much. You don't see a lot of people in their 80s and 90s just tearing up the clubs at 1 a.m. on a a Saturday night. And uh, that's how all the victims of this disease are. No one in Alberta under 20 has died. No one. In fact, in the past 14 months, out of a population of 4.5 million people, a grand total of 129 people under the age of 60 have died cumulatively in Alberta from the virus in over a year. 129 people. Whereas 1,294 people over 80 have. In fact, the average age of death is 81. 81. And this is even more important. Of those who have died, 97% had a serious pre-existing health condition, like cancer, heart disease, stroke, dementia. In fact, 76% of people who died from the virus had three or more. So back to this curfew business. If the average person who is passing away from this virus is 81, and the average victim had not one, not two, but three or more very serious underlying health conditions... Are, are any of these people really out and about after 8 p.m., just on the streets of the city? Are, are they, really? You might see people in their 80s out and about at night. Uh, but if they also had dementia and diabetes and, and cancer or stroke, I'm sorry, I, ju- I just don't think that's who's out at night. Grabbing a midnight snack at the 24-hour diner, or I don't know, going to a late movie. I, I just don't think that's who's out at night. So why a curfew? Why punish the young and the healthy? That's who's out at night. And punish is the word. Did you hear that part about the registries? That's like uh, license registries where you get a driver's license. Again, lots of people in their 90s don't actually even drive anymore. But people in their teens, 20s, and 30s sure do. They need to, to go to work, to go to school. The, the healthy need driver's license. They will be punished now. And the worst part of all of this is that Jason Kennedy's giving that power to the abusive virtue-signaling mayors around Alberta, the leftists, Nahid Nenshi and Don Ivesons of the world. They're, they're awful. The government of Alberta put out this website, announcing their new brutal plans, and let me quote some excerpts. This is from the Premier. We have no choice but to implement these targeted measures. Yeah, no, you you do, actually. No other place in North America has a curfew other than Quebec. It's bizarre to say you have no choice. You are still the chooser, right? You still are the decider, right? Or, or, or is it someone else? And so the health minister has to say, no one person or community is to blame, but the evidence is showing that certain areas are experiencing significantly higher spread. Well, actually, a curfew punishes the young, especially the poor. It, it does single people out, for a disease that targets people in their 80s, 90s, and 100s, why the bizarre focus on people who just aren't involved? And this is from the unelected health tyrant herself. But if we can muster the strength to make it through these next few weeks, really, you're still saying that line, eh? Just a couple weeks. Just two weeks till we flatten the curve. Just a few weeks on this second wave now. Just a few weeks on these new variants. Just a few weeks on this curfew. Just a few weeks. It's just a few years now. Does anyone believe them anymore? Do they believe themselves? Look at this. While schools remain a safe place and are not a main driver of community spread, In order to limit in-person interactions, all junior and senior high school students, grade 7 and above, will shift to online learning. Okay, you just said they're not where the disease is. You just admitted there's no science behind it, but you'll do it anyways. What? All indoor fitness activities are prohibited. Okay, good. Good. Just stay home and watch Netflix and order in fast food and don't get exercise and don't stay healthy. I say, are there a lot of 90-year-olds going to gyms and yoga studios and playing team sports in Alberta? Or, Or is this just being especially punitive? Now, I'm not being hostile to people in their 80s and 90s. I'm saying, if you care about them, why are you punishing young people? Why are you talking about curfews on young people? How on earth does that help anyone, including people in their 80s and 90s? This is such a disgrace. You know, I don't know if I mentioned it on on the show yet, but our Fight the Fines project now has 1,058 clients. 1,058. We're helping literally more than 1,000 people across Canada who've received lockdown tickets. We've already won 26 cases just by lawyering up. When the prosecutors see that there's a lawyer involved, they drop the case because they know they'd lose. If this curfew proceeds in Alberta in what claimed to be the freest province, the province of my own birth, I will do my best to crowdfund sufficient funds to represent every single person who was charged with breaking the curfew. Literally every person. I don't care if that's 10,000 people, that will be my mission in life. Stay with us for a moment.
2: I stand here tonight, one day shy of the hundredth day of my administration, hundred days since I took the oath of office and lifted my hand off our family Bible and inherited a nation we all did that was in crisis, the worst pandemic in a century, the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Now, After just 100 days, I can report to the nation, America is on the move again. Turning peril into possibility, crisis to opportunity, setbacks into strength, we all know Life can knock us down. But in America, we never, ever, ever stay down. Americans always get up. Today, that's what we're doing.
0: There you have it, Joe Biden. I can't help but notice the masks. You know, they've all been vaccinated there. It's just a performance. That's the political flag they're flying, a flag of lockdownism. Most of what he said there was just banal cliches, although there was one shocking thing. He said that the January 6th attack on Capitol Hill, by which he meant some MAGA enthusiasts, a bit of a mob, breaking some windows and doors and muddling their way in. uh, I I don't know if I would call that a riot. I would call that a mob for sure. I would call it lawless. Um, But the only person who was killed that day was a protester, Ashley Babbitt. There was one police officer who died, but the DC coroner's office ruled it of natural causes. Uh, I'm not uh, downplaying uh, the importance of that day, certainly for the media, it was the Reichstag fire, but uh, to call it the worst attack on the United States since the Civil War, does does nobody remember 9-11? Uh, or for that matter, Pearl Harbor. Very strange, but we are in historically illiterate times, and it's very important for Joe Biden to maintain that mob breaking into the Capitol Hill as the worst crisis in a century and a half if he seeks to persecute, demonize, illegalize, criminalize, his political opponents. Joining us now via Skype to talk about this is our friend Benjamin Weingarten, senior columnist at The Federalist. He also writes for Newsweek and The Epoch Times, and you might remember, Ben, he stayed up so late with us on election night itself. Ben, great to see you again.
4: Thanks for having me. really appreciate it, and uh, your introduction was perfectly put. Well, I you
0: to say. I mean, listen, I, w- I am not comfortable with people smashing their way into any Uh, Parliament or Congress. But to call that the worst attack since the Civil War is wrong by any objective measure. But the point was, it's, it's the excuse, it's the predicate for a lot of civil liberty squashing that he aims to do, isn't it?
4: Absolutely. It was cynical, shameful, historically illiterate. I mean, there have even been bombings of the Capitol in the past. Uh, We don't even need to go down the rabbit hole of debunking it on a historical basis, even though his favorite historian, Michael Beschloss, uh, was out there saying that it was an inspired speech and that he's absolutely right about the purported uh, Capitol riot. Um, Look, All you need to do to understand that this is about narrative setting and essentially an information operation and setting aside the merits of the fact that what occurred at the Capitol was shameless, inexcusable and cast a pall over and really distracted from the critical issue, which was election integrity. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, Democrats have been able to skate and and sort of completely shunt that aside as they push to federalize the insanity of the election integrity eroding measures that they're trying to put forth and perpetuity. If you look at the testimony of Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, his deputies, various other senior officials in the Justice Department, and even the day after that Biden speech, uh, a DOJ official and an FBI official, I believe as well, who gave delivered testimony to the House Appropriations Committee regarding domestic violent extremism. The preamble to pretty much every piece of testimony is that the Capitol riots is sort of the number one area that the Justice Department is gonna be focused on prosecuting as many people as possible associated with it, and then the pursuit of the broader war on domestic violent extremism or domestic terrorism, however the administration defines it, and whatever groups of people that encompasses. So you know that it's about using this singular event to create a narrative of the fact that the country is suffering from a scourge of, of course, as they would term it, right-wing extremism, domestic violent extremism, and thus that they will use that to justify potentially turning the very rules that should have been used to go after jihadists around the world back on American citizens. And just this week, we've seen the ways in which our national security and intelligence apparatus uh, has been abused or has been weaponized in pursuit potentially of political adversaries, uh, when there was an opinion put down by the FISA court by the judge who presides over it, basically saying that FBI officials accessed FISA databases to use that foreign intelligence in pursuit of domestic investigations, including on public officials and concerning bribery and and related sorts of issues. Uh, So what does that mean? it means that there could have been far more than just the pursuit of the Trump administration in the way of national security and intelligence officials abusing their powers to go after dissenters against their policies.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't have a lot of time for uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, but even she, a leading Democrat, says she's uncomfortable uh, with the prosecutorial excesses uh, against basically um, unarmed uh crowds who came into the capitol building once it was breached and again i don't condone that Uh, if i were there i would not have entered into the building that was clearly broken into but to hold people without bail for for being part of that crowd with no violent acts committed, no weapons. Um, I mean, don't take it from me. I'm not an expert in these matters. But when a, a hardline liberal like Senator Warren says, boy, this is off kilter, maybe maybe it's time to pay notice if she's worried about it.
4: Yeah, and, and look, there have been other leftist civil libertarians also who have said that this clearly looks like a political persecution, not justice. And of course, the elephant in the room here is the juxtaposition of how law enforcement was used or not used to pursue cases against people last year participating in the 1619 riots who did far more substantial damage and caused substantially more bloodshed nationwide. And the again, the juxtaposition of the extent to which law enforcement has pursued these cases it's just staggering it's not even close in the comparison and you know fbi director ray has been members of the house have tried to pin him down uh, and sort of showing the double standard here and of course you know law enforcement won't admit to it they say that you know we set aside uh, first amendment considerations or or rather we set aside you know the political biases and the like when we try to pursue justice. But it's very clear that there are two standards. And really, we've seen double standards in so many instances over the last four years. So it just strains credulity to think that it's gonna come out any differently, at least in my opinion, that it's gonna come out any differently when the administration pursues what it's gonna term right-wing extremists or domestic violent extremists. And by the way, of course, the administration has brought in to many of these senior roles, the very people who helped foist Russiagate and Spygate on us in the first place, and shamefully and sadly, many Republicans have voted to confirm these officials. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, after 9-11, there was the Patriot Act Uh, that focused on on external enemies and abridged civil liberties to do so. Uh, I think we're seeing the domestic version of the Patriot Act to uh, extirpate the enemy within, but the enemy is not necessarily a violent one, it's simply a political one. I think that's a very grave problem, and I think it will slosh over into Canada too. But let's put that aside and talk about some other issues, because of course, 100 days of a presidency are not just his vindictive political... um, you know, hygiene, Um, but, you know, foreign affairs, uh, economic affairs, regulatory affairs, oil and gas, uh, taxes, debt, uh, pandemic, lockdowns, uh, the Middle East peace deals, uh, trade relations, China. I mean, there's a hundred things that Trump had a very strong flavor on. Can you give us a summary in your view? I mean, maybe it's too early to tell a hundred days in. But uh, what are the things that are really worrying you about? And is there anything that you would admit that um, you're surprised by how well it's going? Is there anything that Biden has exceeded expectations? And what are the things that do cause you worry?
4: Hmm. I'm going to have to think about anything where he's beaten expectations. But I'll just say that around 13 months ago, I published a piece at The Federalist where I said, don't be fooled. The Democrat Party is Bernie Sanders's party, even if it has super superficially more moderate frontmen like Joe Biden as its leading contender at the time. And I also wrote that book, American Ingrid, that you've been so gracious enough to feature here before, where essentially I said, look, the Democratic Party is being overtaken by its progressives. And again, it doesn't matter if it's Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, who sit atop the party in terms of power, they're all caving to the progressive ideology. And I think day one of the Biden presidency really set the tone, which in part abolished the 1776 commission that the Trump administration had put in place, which was a celebration of American history and putting forth um, the, the true and accurate representation of America in education and beyond. And the Biden administration not only did that, but also essentially imposed wokeism across every element of the executive branch of government through an executive order affirmatively advancing equity as opposed to equality. And that executive order adopted the language of the woke so-called anti-racist and basically devoted the administration to pursuing progressive racialist Um, just essentially cultural Marxism throughout the institutions. And that set the tone, I believe, for uh, what the administration's pursuing in a a whole variety of areas. So leaving aside the pervasiveness of wokeism, which I think you see have policy implications in a number of areas, look, we see an orgy of taxation, spending, no rule of law, but except pursuing a rule by law essentially against political opponents. Uh, open borders, of course, weakness as we've covered at length with respect to the Chinese Communist Party and beyond, which of course he called a competitor in that speech, not an adversary or an enemy, which is precisely what they are. And if you don't understand, if you can't accurately describe your adversaries, then clearly you're not going to be able to come up with the policies necessary to effectively counter them. Uh, With the Middle East, it's been a complete reversion to essentially the Obama-era policies. Maybe you could say that the pullout of Afghanistan or the planned pullout is something where maybe he's exceeding expectations, but you see that there's a huge push back against that, just as President Trump faced as well from the establishment wings of both parties as well. So we'll see if he ends up holding his ground in terms of the Afghanistan pullout. But I think you're seeing across the board essentially it's the Obama administration 3.0 except it's far more radical because the Overton window of acceptability of progressive ideas has shifted to such a radical extent that what would have been considered radical 5 years ago is now or even 3 or 2 years ago is now mainstream today. So, you know, I think some people would say that they were they'd be surprised at just how left the Biden administration has been. But my sort of overarching thesis the entire time has been that he's essentially an empty vessel and he will sort of guam on to wherever the power in his party is and the power in his party is with the progressives.
0: You know, I wanna play a short uh, montage of um, a coughing fit. I mean, Hillary Clinton, as you know, had health issues. In fact, she collapsed a few times. It was a real issue uh, in, in her campaign. Um, Joe Biden is 78. Uh, he, he has mental lapses, what some people call seniors moments sometimes. And even just, I know this is not particularly, uh, determinative of, of anything, but I tell you, if this were Donald Trump with this coughing fit, it would be front page news. Take a look at this quick. Um, we call it a supercut. It's basically all the coughs in a short speech. Take a look.
2: And now, and we. Sure, most or ten minutes. So, second, I just wonder, and they we, they we, 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 we're, were working. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Georgia. You
0: that wasn't just, I've got a dry throat, give me a glass of water, that sounded bronchial, and you know I'm, I'm sure he'll be fine, um, but I think that even if he's not fine, they will try and keep him in office as long as possible, simply to have him called the president, Kamala Harris will do the meeting of the foreign guests, like I understand. A foreign, I think the Prime Minister of Japan, I think, came and they sent Kamala Harris instead of Joe Biden. That's a snub, by the way. But um, I think they, the fact that Biden is so clearly wobbly probably doesn't disqualify him in the minds of Democrats because they say, perfect, keep that friendly grandpa figure yeah. out there. that no one in the media will attack because he's so obviously frail. He doesn't really even say anything. He has these little aphorisms like, no malarkey, or, you know, I'm not goshing you. So keep him out there saying short bursts of meaningless nothing and a smile. Have Kamala Harris do sort of ceremonial things and then have some real power behind the throne um, who, you know, who knows who it is. But I don't think I think they actually want Joe Biden to stay in as long as possible as a diversion, as a misdirection.
4: Yeah, it provides a you know, putative veneer of moderation. I mean, I mean, really, I think that Joe Biden is the face of uh, the the swamp in washington, d c, having spent nearly fifty years there. and the fact that, he shifted so radically on so many positions. It's just a perfect representation of the fact that he's just gone where the political winds are. And look, he's landed in the White House as a consequence of it. But it is kind of ironic in some ways that the Democrat Party, which if you go back to the Obama years, you know, the aesthetics of it and the propaganda from the left is so good. It's so compelling. And yet here you have this guy who they can't make look good and compelling. So instead it's sort of, it was the hermetically sealed candidacy and now it's the hermetically sealed presidency and it looks weak and frail and then you have this speech uh, after his first hundred days with, you know, people separated each by five seats and everyone's wearing masks in this insanity when they're all vaccinated in the first place. And they tell everyone that they have to get the vaccine and yet they're afraid to take their masks off when they're all together. Uh, there's something that is scary about it. There's something that in in a dark way is sort of laughable about it. But I I do agree with you that he's a a front man. He doesn't. Yeah. He said, I think, something like, you know, she doesn't have a Democratic bone in his body. I think that Joe Biden doesn't really have an ideological bone in his body at this point. I think he is just going wherever the power behind him tells him. And uh, w- what we're seeing is not really a Biden agenda. It's sort of like a generic um, woke deep state agenda at this point is the best I could characterize it.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I see Samantha Power got a, a, a nomination. I I think it really is a, an extension of the Obama years. Benjamin Weingarten, great to see you again. Depressing as always, but nice to see you.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Hopefully we brought some levity to it. Yeah,
0: no, I'm just joking. I mean, you're just giving us cold, hard Facts. Great to see you again. And by the way, as Ben mentioned, his book is called American Ingrate. It's the authoritative biography of Ilhan Omar, but in so many ways it shows where the Democratic Party is going. You can get it at the link below. Stay with us. More ahead. (laughs) On my show last night, Nitro writes... The media and government say variants from India, South Africa, Brazil, and UK are okay to say, but saying anything about China is verboten. Isn't that selective racism? It's <laughs> a good point. And I see that Joe Biden is banning flights from India, but he said banning flights from China was racist. LP writes, I think there are others who feel the same as Derek Sloan and Randy Hillier, but they don't have the courage to speak out. Derek has a it right, it's cowardice. Absolutely, but the thing is, it's afraid of what? It's not afraid of any pain or shame. It's afraid of them not being able to run on the party ticket. So it's really not so much cowardice as it is, um, I don't know, self-interest, putting their own interests ahead of those of their constituents. It's it, Cowardice, yeah, but they're afraid of what? Afraid of not being able to run as a conservative. So it's, it's not really cowardice, it's more selfishness. Joy writes, Derek Sloan is such a breath of fresh air, still positive despite so many knocks from the CPC. We should all support him. I can't help but loving the guy. I just like him. Anyway, I hope he stays involved in politics. I don't know what he's going to do. You saw I asked him. I didn't want to prod him. But w- what are you going to do? If you can't run as a conservative, what are you going to do? Well, I look forward to seeing why. That's the show for today. What a busy week. So much going on. We'll see you all on Monday. Until then, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, Connect. Keep fighting for free. Thank you.